Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Kineros Gold Corporation second quarter 2021 results conference call and webcast. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Mr. Chris Lippinghout, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. With us today, we have Paul Rowlandson, President and CEO, and the Kinoff Senior Leadership Team, Andrew Freeborough, Paul Tamori, and Jeff Cole. Before we begin, I would like to bring your attention to the fact that we will be making forward-looking statements during this presentation. For complete discussion of the risks, uncertainties, and assumptions of the actual results and performance being different from assets in forward-looking information, please refer to page two of this presentation. Our news release dated July 20, 2021. The MDNA for the period ended June 30, 2021, and our most recently filed AIS, all of which are available on our website. I will now turn the call, put the call over to Paul. Thanks, Chris, and <clears throat> thank you all for joining us today. While there continues to be challenges globally coming out of the pandemic, we are seeing signs of a return to normal across our operations. With the safety and well-being of our people as our top priority, we are maintaining our pandemic-related protocols where needed. However, <clears throat> we are also benefiting from a continued return to more efficient operating practices wherever possible. Notably, with travel restrictions easing, we have been able to reach most of our sites more easily. Before turning the call over to Andrea for a financial review and Paul for an operating review, I will comment briefly on the situation at Tassius, our return of capital plan, and some highlights from the quarter. We realize the fire at Tassius created a lot of uncertainty which negatively impacted our stock price. Our objective today is to provide an update that helps remove this uncertainty. We needed the past several weeks to make mechanical inspections and based on this, we do not believe there is any substantial damage to the integrity of the mill. As a result, we are confident that we will be operational before year end. Furthermore, our updated estimate for the cost of repair is now reduced to not more than $35 million. And importantly, the gold is still in the ground and we have an insurance claim for the damages and the interruption to our business. Therefore, we do not see a fundamental change in the value of our business. With respect to the 24K expansion, while the plant is down, we have been able to continue to mine and advance the project. 
we will begin 2022 with substantially more ore in stockpile, which further secures our ability to meet our production goals in 22 and 23, and now 24. I was recently in Mauritania, and we visited Tassius and met with senior government officials. On July 15th, <clears throat> we signed the final agreement which provides enhanced certainty on the economics of Tassius. Achieving this important milestone reinforces our strong partnership with the government. We appreciate, we are, we are appreciative of the strong support from the government, particularly as we work through the impact of the mill fire. We have a high degree of confidence in our strong production growth and increasing free cash flow over the next few years. In addition, the fact that we see no fundamental change in the value of the business, coupled with our recent stock price performance, makes now a highly compelling time to begin the share buyback program that we announced last night. We see the buyback as a meaningful addition to our regular dividend as we are targeting to double the total cash we are allocating to returns over the next 12 months. Moving on to the broader portfolio, <clears throat> we are confident in our ability to meet our revised 21 production guidance and our outlook to 2023, which sees us growing production to 2.9 million ounces. With respect to the cost guidance, the, the setbacks we face this year at Tassius and Round Mountain on their own would not have taken us out of our original guidance range. However, combining these setbacks with higher gold prices and inflation has created a need to update our outlook on costs for the year. Importantly, though, our margins remain strong and ahead of our original budget expectations. Andrea will provide more detail on our guidance update in a few moments. Finally, I would like to highlight two other important recent developments. One, we completed a scoping study at Mancho, which confirms the value of the project. And two, we published our 2020 sustainability report, which outlines our strong performance and targets in areas of safety and sustainability, environment, social, and governance. Along with this, we also released our first climate report, which outlines our climate strategy. Notwithstanding our strong record on safety, which is our first priority, we were recently reminded that our work in this area is never done. I'm saddened to report that in June, we experienced a fatality at our Chirano mine in Ghana. The loss of one of our employees reinforces the need to continue focusing our efforts on enhancing safety and risk management systems across our global operations. I will now turn the call over to Andrea for a more detailed review of our financial results. Thanks, Paul. I'll begin with financial highlights from the quarter, including highlights on our balance sheet, then provide some commentary on our updated outlook. 
Production during the quarter was approximately 538,000 ounces and sales were 548,000 ounces. We generated free cash flow of $183 million during the quarter, which was an increase over $100 million from the previous quarter due largely to lower taxes paid. Cost of sales were $830 per ounce in Q2, which was up from the previous quarter and Q2 of last year due to lower production, higher operating waste mined at a number of our sites as expected, and some inflationary pressures that we're starting to see. Attributable operating margins were robust again in Q2 at 54%, driven largely by strong gold prices. All in sustaining costs of $1,069 per ounce were up compared to the previous quarter and Q2 of last year, primarily due to lower ounces sold and higher cost of sale. Our adjusted net earnings of $157 million and adjusted operating cash flow of $364 million were down approximately 19% and 13% respectively from the same quarter last year, also a result of the decrease in production and higher cost of sales. Moving to our balance sheet, our cash position remains strong and we finished the quarter with $676 million of cash after repaying $500 million of senior notes in June. We now have $1.25 billion of senior notes remaining with the next maturity date in March of 2024. Our net debt at the end of the quarter improved to approximately $780 million. Our trailing 12-month net debt to EBITDA ratio improved slightly and is now just under 0.4 times. Our investment-grade credit profile from the three major rating agencies has been further enhanced this year, with Moody's moving us to a positive outlook in Q1, followed by an upgrade from Fitch in Q2. In July, we extended the maturity date of our revolving credit facility to July 2026, returning to a five-year term. Looking ahead to the remainder of the year, as Paul mentioned, we're pleased to have put in place share buyback programs. We expect to begin executing this program in, in the near future, and based on where we sit today, we would expect to double our return of capital over the next 12 months through this program. In summary, our cash flow remains strong and our balance sheet continues to strengthen. We are well positioned to fund our growth over the next few years while continuing to reduce our debt and increase our return of capital to shareholders. Turning to our updated outlook for 2021, I note that all figures I'll reference here are within our typical confidence range of plus or minus 5%. Starting with cost of sales, we've increased our 2021 guidance from $790 to $830 per ounce. The increase is mainly due to the deferral of low-cost ounces from Tassius and higher gold prices resulting in higher royalty payments, as well as emerging trends in inflation. We have also increased guidance for all-in sustaining costs from $1,025 to $1,110 per ounce. This increase is the result of the higher cost of sales and the impact of sustaining capex overhead and other sustaining costs over fewer ounces of production resulting from the Tassius fire. Our guidance for other operating expense is increasing from $150 million to $285 million. The increase is due to three factors. First, the Tassius mill repairs are estimated to be up to $35 million. 
A portion of this may end up being classified within CAPEX, but for now we've made the allowance within other operating costs. Second, approximately $50 million of non-mining related operating costs incurred at Tassius during the repair of the mill, including site G&A. And third, approximately $50 million of costs related to the wall remediation effort at Round Mountain. As a reminder, we will be pursuing the recovery of the Tassius-related costs as we work through the insurance process. For capital expenditures, we are maintaining our full-year guidance of $900 million. Looking out beyond this year, as Paul mentioned, we're confident in our production outlook of 2.7 and 2.9 million ounces for 2022 and 2023, respectively. With respect to costs, we'd like to provide some context on what we're seeing. At the time of our Q4 release, we had indicated that we expect cost of sales in 2022 to decline and to be largely in line with 2020. Our business remains on track to benefit from higher production, which will favorably influence our per ounce cost metrics and will continue to monitor inflationary pressures. Some of these inflationary pressures may be temporary and others may not be. As we approach the end of this year and complete our strategic business planning and advance our budget process for 2022, we will be able to provide more details. I'll now turn the call over to Paul Tamori. Thank you, Andrea. <clears throat> I will provide a brief update on the impacts from COVID, followed by an update on our operations, projects, and exploration programs. As Paul mentioned, COVID restrictions are generally lifting around the world, and most of our operations are slowly returned to normal, with some exceptions. Thanks to our employees, operating communities, and host governments, and our operations have performed very well throughout this pandemic. I'll begin by providing an update on the Tazius mill repairs. Most importantly, over the last few days, the mill has been turned, and we are now confident that the gearless motor drive, the trunnion bearings, and the mill shell are in good shape. To note, we've included a link to a video of the mill restart test in our press release. Based on this, we are confident that the mill will restart in the fourth quarter. A new trommel screen has been ordered and the anticipated delivery dates force the planned mill restart timeline. Following the installation of the trommel screen, we expect to be able to resume operations at full capacity essentially right away without a significant ramp-up period. We remain confident in our ability to meet 2022 production targets as the high-grade stockpiles that we will build will be available at startup. The 21K project is now 90% complete. Commissioning activities of the power plant have begun and we expect it to be operational in the late part of Q4. And we expect to reach 21,000 tons per day in the first quarter of 2022. Additionally, we are exploring ways to potentially shorten the time needed to reach 24,000 tons per day by taking advantage of mill downtime to advance some of the project tie-ins sooner. Moving to Brazil, PERC 2 had a good first half overall. The mine produced 151,000 ounces, an increase of 24,000 over Q1, due primarily to the timing of ounces processed through the mill. Higher cash costs in the, compared with Q1 are attributed principally to an isolated incident of unplanned maintenance, inflationary pressures, particularly on consumables, labor, and diesel, and higher power costs due to drought and the government's response restricting hydropower generation, which has resulted in increased exposure to more expensive spot power purchases. On this issue, it's worth noting that while drought conditions are prevalent in affecting power generation, it is not impacting water balance at Perk 2. In Russia, Kupol delivered another good quarter. 
Results were largely in line with Q1 as the transition to narrower vein mining continues to progress as planned. We saw lower grades compared to the previous quarter in Q2 of last year due to planned mine sequencing at Kupal combined with lower grade stockpiles from Devoinoi. We expect grades to stay around these levels for the remainder of the year. Turning to Nevada, at Rand Mountain, implementation of the revised mine plan is proceeding well and Q2 production was in line with our expectations. The relocation of the waste pile at the top of the pit continued during the quarter and should be completed next month. Fortunately, this historic waste pile proved to be mineralized, covering the cost of the rehandling. Mitigation efforts have stabilized the wall and significant progress has been made on further dewatering. The overall optimization study, including opportunities for the phase S pushback, is progressing well and on schedule to be completed early next year. Production was lower quarter of a quarter as a result of our focus on mitigating the wall instability, while costs were largely in line. Turning to our other operations, Fort Knox performed well during the second quarter as production increased compared to Q1 due to an increase in ounces recovered from the new Barnes Creek heap leach. Cash costs remained high due to higher operating waste mines, but decreased year over year due to more ounces produced from the new heap leach. Bald Mountain's production was lower compared to the previous quarter due to the timing of ounces recovered from the heat as we mined through some carbonaceous material in the vantage pit at the beginning of the quarter. We expect stronger production in the second half. Higher cash costs compared to the previous quarter were due to lower production and higher fuel costs. Toronto has also delivered a good performance so far this year. Production was slightly lower than, than Q1, mainly due to lower grades from the underground mine but is largely in line year over year. And the mine continues to generate positive cash flow. Moving on to our projects, as Paul mentioned, the Mantra scoping study was completed this quarter on schedule. The, resu the results confirm the project is low risk, low cost, high grade, high return addition to our Fort Knox mine. Many of the key metrics in the study remain comparable to our views at the time of the acquisition, including grades, recoveries, life of mine production, of approximately 1 million ounces, with first production expected in 2025. Capital cost estimates, however, have increased by approximately $50 million to approximately $150 million on a 100% basis. The increase is largely due to strategic decisions that are expected to de-risk the project and improve operational efficiencies, including reducing the use of contractors. In addition, a better understanding of the project site conditions particularly topography and environment, contributed to this increased capital. The project is moving to an FS, and we expect to report those results by the end of 2022. Our other projects are advancing well. Development work on the Gill satellite pits, located approximately 15 kilometers east of Fort Knox, is proceeding as planned, and is on track for first production later this year. Lakoipa remains on budget and on track for first production in mid-22, with fleet refurbishments now complete. Pre-stripping, plant refurbishment, and mine road construction are also progressing very well. The Lobo Marte FS is on schedule for completion in Q4 of this year, while permitting and community relations continue to advance. UDIN's PFS is still expected to be completed by year-end in support of a reserve update. Infrastructure work at site has commenced, including the establishment of camp facilities. First production of UDIN's is still anticipated in 2025. With respect to exploration across the company, we continue to focus on promising targets around current operations and areas where existing infrastructure can be leveraged 
with the goal of extending mine life and adding to our mineral reserve and resource estimates. At Kubel, the exploration program targeting mine life extension is proceeding as planned. Targets at the south end of the Kubel vein were tested, intersecting narrow but high-grade veins. Importantly, exploration camps were established at Kayanmaivam and Kavrelyanskaya within the Kupol's synergy zone, yielding high-grade results in both areas. At Chirano, promising results during the first half of the year were encountered as we continue to target multi-year mine life extensions and additions to its mineral resource estimates at year-end. Underground resource upgrade and definition drilling at Sarantano located additional high-grade pods and underground drilling was carried out at Syrah, Akodi South, and Tano, and surface drilling at the Memnau West ore bodies. Development of an exploration drift to provide optimized drilling positions to target the Obra high-grade plunging chute is ongoing and is expected to be completed in the third quarter. The results of the first hold exceeded expectations with mineralized width greater than previously interpreted. Drilling at Akadi South has extended known mineralization to the immediate south of the reserve area while at Tano, two mineralized west slates have been identified. At Udinsk, exploration activities focus on infill drilling and completing the PFS geotechnical work. Additionally, on the larger Chulbakan property, exploration drilling has commenced two to five kilometers to the northeast of the Udinsk resource pit along the principal Chulbakan fault where mineralization has been encountered. At Ram Mountain, Exploration activities at Phase X focus on infill drilling and extending the known mineralization. We also work to improve the geologic model and assess mine planning options with the goal of delineating high-grade material for potential underground mining, and results continue to be encouraging. Lastly, at Curlew, exploration activities continue to target incremental high margin ounces proximal to the K2 and K5 deposits by constructing a series of exploration drifts to explore the highly prospective area. Rehabilitation development is ahead of schedule with underground drilling to commence in the third quarter and continue well into next year. To wrap up on operations and projects, our priorities continue to be the health and safety of our employees, our social license to operate and the well-being of our communities and stakeholders, delivering strong, consistent operating results and delivering our projects on time and on budget. And with that, I'll turn the call back to Paul. Thanks, Paul. <clears throat> In summary, we are making excellent progress on our key initiatives, and our business remains in a strong position. Potassius Mill is expected to be running in Q4. Despite the setbacks at Tassius and Round Mountain, we expect both assets to be strongly repositioned for the future. Our investment grade balance sheet will continue to strengthen as we grow our production of free cash flow over the coming years. And our shares remain highly attractive and we are initiating a buyback program to capitalize on this. With that operator, I would now like to open up all to questions. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. And to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Kine roster. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Your first question comes from Tyler Langton from J.P. Morgan. Your line's open. Yeah, good morning, and uh, thanks for taking my question. Um, just on sort of the um, the cash cost guidance, you know, for the year, can you provide a little bit more detail on sort of the impact uh, of inflation and higher gold prices uh, on that guidance? And then just, I guess, when you think about the impact of potential inflationary pressures on 2022, is, is 2021, I guess, benefiting from any uh, fuel hedges or supply contracts that's sort of limiting the impact this year but could kind of roll off next year? Sure. So I, I would look at the increase in cash cost guidance as sort of three buckets. Um, and, you know, roughly uh, a third, a third, a third uh, between uh, between the three. So the first is just um, not having the tossiest ounces. Those were lower cost ounces. So it's, it's really a function of sales mix. Um, and um, the second being related to gold price. So we're at a higher gold price than our budget. We're paying higher royalties. And we provided sensitivities on that with our guidance back in February. So um, we said, you know, $5 an ounce for every $100 in gold price over, um, over our 1500 budget price. And so the third bucket would be, would be inflation. And um, we're just, you know, we're, we're watching the trends in inflation. We've seen some inflation start to creep in just over the last month or two. Um, and so that's sort of the third bucket in terms of what, um, how we expect it might impact our cash costs for, for 2021. To answer your question on um, hedging, we have hedges in place for 2021. We also have hedging in place for, um, for 22 and 23, just at sort of lower levels. So, for, for, uh, for example, on um, fuel, we have, you know, we're about 55% hedged this year, um, 45% hedged uh, in 2022, and then, you know, lower, lower amount again for 2023. Okay, that's really helpful. And then just um, I guess switching to round mountain, I guess production was down, you know, just kind of slightly versus Q1 and costs were actually lower. I guess could you talk just a little bit about, you know, kind of what drove this performance and then just you know, how you think about the second half, um, you know, in terms of production uh, and costs? Well, Round Mountain, as you know, we are working through the mitigation plan for the instability that had been detected earlier in the year. First and foremost, we have uh, essentially reduced the risk to a very low number. The, the wall has stopped moving. Um, we continue our dewatering program. And what we've done at the mine is rather than mining in that phase W, which was originally planned for the year, we've shifted focus to other parts of the, uh, uh, the operation. So, for example, we're doing another cut at the bottom of the pit. We're um, developing uh, further at Gold Hill, which is a satellite deposit, as well as a, a portion of the main pit. So it's a, a round mountain is complex in the sense that it has a lot of sources of ore. And as we continue to unload that north wall, 
we will continue to rely on these disparate sources of ore. So the various ore sources are going to be within the pit and the satellite pits uh, from the heaps. And uh, as I mentioned in my prepared remarks, the waste dump that we moved at the top of the pit proved to be mineralized, and we generated revenue there. But we expect quarterly production at Round Mountain to be in that high 50s range for the next couple quarters. Um, and uh, it'll be uh, roughly at that level going into next year. And uh, as we talked about on our last quarter, the, the, the higher annual production has been deferred until 2025. But we expect uh, around mountain production to be in that mid-200s to high-200s over the next couple of years. And should costs be sort of – should we expect costs to take a step up in the second half or too early to tell? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, costs will step up a little bit in the second half. Great. All right, that's it for me. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from Fahad Tariq from Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Just uh, continuing on Round Mountain, uh, the $50 million in the remediation uh, efforts cost, can you talk a little bit about how to reconcile that against the, the waste pile recovery that you just touched on? And then also, how should we be thinking about that particular cost into 2022? Thanks. So the overall, I'll paint a high-level picture here. The gross cost additions at Round Mountain are related to moving that waste dump, and we will essentially break even on that because it proves to be mineralized, but also laying the wall back to a more shallow slope angle. So that will generate gross additional tonnages in the overall mine plan. However, I'm, I'm very confident that we have already and will continue to find offsets to that on an NPV basis, and that doesn't include phase S which I'm, I'm also increasingly comfortable with. So the, the gross additional costs at Round Mountain are not necessarily in-year because our mining capacity is limited, so we're going to mine the same amount every year, but then the result is a deferral of ounces um, as more waste is moved in the near term. As for the accounting treatment, uh, Andrea will talk about that. Yeah, really. I mean, as Paul said, we're we're moving the same amount of ounces. It's just the costs are being characterized as uh, as other operating costs given the situation there. Okay, and on next year's costs, if we think about just like other operation, uh, other operating expense um, related to Rand Mountain. Yeah. So I think for next year, we're probably gonna. Uh, call that mining costs, because the, the gross additional cost next year will be stripping costs. So, I mean, I'd say just other operating costs overall, the increase that we're seeing that I've talked about this year is really kind of a, a one-year thing. It's not something we expect to continue um, in terms of that level of other operating costs going forward. Understood. Okay. Thank you. That's it for me. Your next question comes from Josh Walson from RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Thanks. Um, just wanted to sort of zone in a bit more on the costs for Toronto and, uh, and Paracat 2. Uh, for Paracat 2, I think you had mentioned that there were, um, you know, some sort of intermittent downtime items that affected that, but then also some, some local inflation. Uh, and then I uh, just wanted to understand, I guess, you know where you see costs with these with these inflationary factors, uh, and then same thing I guess for for Toronto, where I guess there's a bit uh, 
uh, fewer sort of external factors. Right. So there's a one-time maintenance downtime event on the conveyor, so that uh, impacted the denominator, so that was a contributor to the costs. Um, perhaps the biggest is the power cost increase. There is widespread drought in Brazil, particularly affecting areas with significant hydroelectric generation capacity. And given the the equalization mechanism in the Brazil power market, we ended up having some exposure to the spot price. So our, the biggest increase in cost parity was related to higher than anticipated power costs. However, I should also point out that that power cost impact would have been much greater had we not owned our own power plants. So we're, we're, we're really uh, happy that we have those plants. In addition, uh, we do see some local cost inflation. Uh, labor costs are up about 5%, um, uh, trending a little bit above the annual uh, rate increases we've seen for a number of years. And uh, we're starting to see some inflation in key consumables of which Perfecture uses a lot, for example, uh, most notably grinding media, which is uh, obviously a steel-derived product. As for Chirano, uh, its costs were high principally due to the relative mix of open pit and underground, where we are in the mine sequence. Um, but we expect those costs to improve with uh, uh, as we get deeper into the life of mine, as we go to a greater share of uh, underground production. Okay, um, and then uh, you know there's some some good commentary on uh, on production heading into 2022 and 2023. I'm just wondering uh, on the capital side, uh, you know, and some of the historical guidance provided of 800 and 700 for the next two years. There's, there's obviously a lot of different moving parts here, um, and even the historical numbers were under you know question given uh, potential you know project growth opportunities. You know, where's the current thinking on on um, on the direction of the of the future capital um, uh, numbers for 22 and 23? Sure, I'll, I'll maybe I'll take the lead on that one, Josh. Yeah, look, I mean, I think we we do see a, a slightly different dynamic between the operating cost inflation and the capital. Um, the operating being more of a, a sticky kind of lagging with things like labor. There's, there's no question we're starting to see inflation come into the system. Um, we think it'll probably be a little bit greater on the capital side. Um, and, um, you know, I think it's a flow through. There's a macro and a micro effect there with, with commodity, underlying commodities and microeconomic supply-demand factors. Um, we think it's it's... It's certainly here for the balance of the year and into next year. Um, we think in, in some cases, you know, it, it'll be a little bit greater maybe in the new project side. Um, but we haven't sort of finalized a, a, a prediction on what that number will be. But I think the comment we're trying to say is, yeah, absolutely, those capital numbers that we put out, which were there to support the 2.7 to 2.9 production, um, now come with a with an inflation caveat, and we're we're, we're going to be monitoring that and, and look to refine our view. So I would say we're biased to obviously increasing, but I don't want to be kind of pinned down on the on the number just yet. 
Okay, and sorry, just to clarify, I, I think the, the sort of understanding was um, kind of flat 900-ish going forward to sustain, you know, the new higher volume outputs. Uh, is it, sort of the impression that it could be above that sort of flat line uh, expectation or just above what the historical guidance was, which was, I guess, low? Yeah, so I think what, and we've had a few discussions around this point. We we were out there with a 987 in terms of capital, which was to support the production guidance of 2.7 going to 2.9, 23. We then said if, to the extent we continue, I think that's the point you're making, of continuing to run out at, say, the 2.9 level, we would expect the capital to come back up towards 900, and and we said a you know a postal code you know direction there would be to use a sort of a $300 per ounce kind of assumption. That's how we've characterized it, and, and I think that's all still true, but we're just trying to understand and, and get a little bit more uh, focused here on where we might end up with the inflation effect on that. And Josh, we are seeing we are seeing inflationary impacts in some of our capital estimates. Um, part of the increase at Manchow was inflation related. Um, as I alluded to in my prepared remarks, uh, some of it was scope related, some of it was value added decision related, but there was an inflationary component. And uh, we're seeing engineering firms, construction companies bidding projects with higher unit rates than they would have say a year ago in recognition of the fact that uh, uh, capital project space is heating up. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Anita Sani from CIBC World Markets. Your line is open. Good morning. Thanks for taking my questions. Um, so first on Perica 2, uh, I think we were looking for higher grades. Uh, I think it was from the western portion of the pit. When I look at your guidance for this year, it was saying that um, uh, part of the drive up to you know, 2.4, 2.7, 2.9 was higher grades at Parapet 2. When, when could we expect to see that? Uh, we, well, we're still targeting uh, a production around uh, just short of or around 600 this year. We did have some lower grade uh, in the past quarter, as we mined in parts of the pit that historically had lower grades. But as we are in that west part in the next quarter, in the fourth quarter, we do expect a slight upward trend in grade, but not huge. Yeah, and we're, we're talking like 0.37 versus 0.4, right? Is that is that the, the variance? Um, it's Yes, that's right, yeah. 0.37 yeah. going to 0.4, yeah, that's right. Okay. And secondly, on Round Mountain, um, I'm, I'm still trying to understand because there was a bit of um, back and forth in terms of what the capital spend would be to flatten that slope and when that was going to happen. So um, in 2022 and 2023, you've got to do this pushback, right, to basically stabilize that, that wall. Um, and I think that when you came back on the last conference call, you mentioned that you're kind of mining constraints there. So I'm just trying to understand that capex spend for you know i think it was 30 to 50 million tons that you had mentioned needed to be moved um to flatten that slope and the time frame i had assumed was the next two years um <clears throat> at whatever dollars per ton cost i'm just trying to understand you know as i think about the capital going into next year 
that to me is one of the biggest swing factors outside of your inflation comments. Could you give me some color on that? Right. So we are doing that, uh, the mine plan redesign right now. We haven't finalized the slopes. Uh, we're, we put in the dewatering wells in the last quarter. We are poor pressures are coming down. And we are finalizing the geotech design. So the total quantum of tons is not yet finalized. But you're correct in the assumption that principally the moving of those tons will take place uh, over the next two years. And we are mining constrained. Round Mountain does about 100 million tons a year. So instead of, and this is the principal reason for the push out on the phase W ounces, is that instead of mining a certain proportion of waste in ore, it's now greater proportion of waste within that 100 million constraint. So we will work through that excess in the next two years. And the total quantum of tons, I can't tell you exactly what it'll be right now, uh, but it's likely at the upper end of that range you talked about. Okay. And then my last question, I'll pass it off to, to, to other people. Just trying to understand Tazius at this stage. So I would assume prior to the fire, um, you guys, you know, that happened in the last couple of weeks. Um, you were, you know, a, a little behind on the, uh, the stripping and accessing the higher grade ores. That's why we saw this, you know, lower grade uh, coming through this quarter. And some portion of that would then also have been, I guess, stockpiles um, feeding the mill. How are you doing now as, you know, with this sort of, um, you know, dealing with the, the fire and, and trying to get back up and restarted? How are the mining rates, you know, in the last month and I guess five weeks going? Because I guess we're contingent upon you. You know, one of the things that you had mentioned was that uh, you would get ahead or get caught up on your stripping so that you could access those higher grade ores. Um, that were expected to um, to drive, you know, I guess plus point uh, plus two gram per ton material next year. That's right. So we continue to mine. So the, yeah. the mine was down for maybe two days at the time of the fire, but we're back up to the mining rate that we need. And what's happening right now is principally waste movement and building at this point today medium grade stockpiles. As planned, we're going to get into the higher grade portion in the fourth quarter, and those are going to be uh, stockpiled as well during the mill rebuild. So, in effect, what's happening is at the at the start of January 2022, we expect to have the mill running full tilt. We expect to be mining front of mine high grade material, in addition to having uh, a couple months worth of high grade stockpile on the ground. Now, that, the, the grade in that stockpile is not so high that it will displace what we would have mined from high grade next year anyway, but it does provide a de-risking element in that um, it allows some flexibility on mining rate next year. So short story is this mill downtime provides the silver lining opportunity to get caught up on the mine plan, get back into a position where we're mining West Branch 4 high grades, and then de-risking next year's production profile with the availability of stockpile material. And those West Branch high grades, they were north of 2.5 gram per yes. ton material, right? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And then I had one last question, sorry. Just uh, with the Q4 uh, guidance that you'll be starting up sometime in Q4, uh, could you provide just – I apologize to ask this question, but could you provide some clarity because, you know, Q4 is a big, pretty big window. <laughs> And uh, is it early Q4, late Q4 for the restart, or is it uh, just near the end of the year kind of thing? 
Well, I'll describe what exactly is happening. So we are, we've turned the mill, we've done the integrity checks on uh, the mill, the motor, the trunnions, and other associated key components. In general, the big important things are okay. Uh, there's been damage to some ancillary things like the, 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 uh, the, the intake and the discharge chutes, um, some structural work on the cyclone tower. And working backwards, the thing that needs to be replaced, and it drives the critical path to return to production, is the trommel screen. Uh, we okay. place an order, and we expect to have that arrive at site, call it late October, early November. So it, it doesn't get better than that. Uh, that okay. is the critical path. And it'll depend on the, the installation time, which we envisage it'll be about two weeks. So it's not inconceivable that that mill is turning with the new trommel screen sometime in November. In a best-case scenario, we'd have a, a good production month in December, but our revised guidance assumes no production this year. And um, we, would, we would strive to try to beat that, but right now we're assuming full-fledged 100% throughput startup January 1st with an upside towards some production in December. Okay, thank you. That's it for my questions. Again, to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from Mike Parkin from National Bank Financial. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Uh, just a couple questions left. Uh, the other operating expense, uh, we got guidance for this year. How do you see that? Um, trending as we go into 2022, if you can give color on that yet? I guess, Mike, I'd say, first of all, it's um, it's by the nature of those costs, they're difficult to predict, but the increase that I've talked about in my remarks for this year are, is, you know, sort of a one-time thing. It's not something we'd expect to repeat um, next year. So, you know, I, I, there's no reason to expect at this point that next year wouldn't be, you know, back to what we've seen the last few years prior to 2021. And then just one final question. Um, you know, congrats on signing that agreement with uh, the Mauritanian government. Can you just give us a bit of color, you know, where the sticking point was on Tassie sued and why that was excluded to get the, the main part signed off and where the kind of negotiations still sit with Tassia Sud. Sure. I'll hand it off to Jeff here, who is, you know, intimately involved in that whole process. But uh, our focus and priority always was uh, to get the main event, which is the Tassius mine, buttoned down, and we're, we're very glad we've done that. As it relates to Sud, Jeff, maybe to... Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that, that's right, Paul. And and and, and Mike, um, I, I guess what I would say is, uh, um, you know, the, our, our previous arrangements on Sue contemplated a different approach and, and ownership structure uh, than, uh, you know, than the, than the main agreement on Tassius. And it was delaying our negotiations, so um, excluding it was a catalyst for signing the agreement and uh, and banking the main economic event at, at Tassius, as Paul just said. Uh, I, I would say that uh, you know, with the main agreement now signed and behind us, uh, you know, the door is, is is wide open with the government to uh, to find solutions on suit and and, and discussions uh, will 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 certainly um, uh, continue. And and I guess you know, the last thing I would say is that uh, you know, while suit is uh, perspective, it's it's not material at this time, and 
and certainly both the main Tassius and northern uh, properties that we own uh, remain uh, remain prospective. Uh, okay, that's it for me, guys. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from Tanya Dukuskanek from Scotiabank. Your line is open. A great uh, good morning, everybody, and congratulations on getting that Tassius Mel. Um, startup, I, I guess startup, uh, getting it on track for startup in Q4. Um, just uh, two questions. Um, I'd like to start with Paul T. I'm just coming back on to that inflation question, um, both from capital and operating costs. Can we just go through in your cost structure? Um, just you, you mentioned labor, um, that specifically labor in um, in uh, Brazil. Are you seeing labor inflation in the U.S. and or Russia, and maybe some of the other consumables where you're seeing inflationary pressures on your cost first, and then coming back to your capital. I have some more questions on that. Okay, I'll, I'll walk through the cost bar for operating expenses. In the, in the labor area, we are seeing cost increases that are only modestly higher than historical trends, principally in Brazil, um, and we're starting to see it tick up in the U.S and Russia, uh, and what I'm saying here is it's, say, 3% instead of 2% or 4% instead of 3%, so it remains somewhat tame, but in Brazil it is something we are focused on. We are, we are definitively seeing uh, labor cost inflation in Brazil. Um, what we are seeing in the U.S. and also in parts of uh, uh, in South America is labor availability, and that will drive up uh, labor costs down the road if there isn't a normalization on that labor availability trend. In terms of consumables, WTI is what it is. You can do that calculation yourself on a net of hedge basis. We provide information on the degree of our hedging. The other consumables where we're starting to see, especially more recently, an uptick in inflation are key things like grinding steel, cyanide, explosives. And importantly, for example, in areas like cyanide and uh, explosives, we're seeing 10% increases that are principally going to be impacting Q3 and Q4 year to date. The numbers there have been more tame, 2 or 3 or 4%. But as we work through some of those lower cost inventories, we're now getting into material that's 10 to 12% higher in cost um, on those uh, the chemical uh, chain, so cyanide, explosives, and, and reagents. In the case of grinding media, particularly at the large mills like Tazius Peric 2, and uh, Fort Knox, we're seeing pretty significant increases, 30% uh, certainly looking at uh, the next two months. And again, it's been more tame in the first two quarters as we work through the inventories, but there we're seeing about 30% um, going forward. And then the last part of costs is uh, the big maintenance category, both on services and spares. There is probably where we see the lowest pressure as yet. And so I think when you put it all together, we're probably seeing, as Andrea said in her remarks, about a third of the, uh, the cash cost revision upward is is due to the inflation component. So it's been it's been manageable in the first half, but here in May and June and heading into July and August, we do see inflation picking up into the back half of the year on OPEX. But inflation itself wouldn't have taken us out of our original That's context. right, yeah. Just for overall context. Yes, had it only been inflation, we would have been at the top end of our cash cost range. 
Yes, a third of, of you know 40 bucks an ounce is, is 12 bucks. So yeah, no, I got I got that. Um, maybe on on just the um, the capital cost, it seems that, as though you mentioned Paul that the inflationary pressures are more on on, on contractors and, and 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 firms. It doesn't seem as though there's specific issues or labor within that component that is is has you you focused on. Or maybe just a bit more clarity there. Yeah, so in CapEx, we probably see more inflation or the risk of greater inflation than in OpEx because we're exposed to both the monetary side of inflation, in other words, the price of individual inputs going up, but also tightness in the supply chain itself. So limited number of fabricators of value-added equipment, limited uh, pool of construction and engineering. And as I said earlier, we are seeing them bid projects with – higher pricing than even six months ago or a year ago. So as a result of both the monetary side, in other words, price inflation on uh, straight-up commodities, we're also seeing that value-add supply-demand tightness. And as I said earlier with reference to Mancho, we are seeing 10 to 15% inflation related to capital uh, estimates on growth projects, which is higher than what we're seeing on the OPEX side. Great. No, that's that's good color on that. And then maybe just for Paul Rowlandson, um, congratulations on the share buyback. Um, notice on the slide that you have 150 million um, coming from dividends and 150 um, from the share buyback. Is that 150 from the share buyback a minimum? And also, what would you need to see um, to go beyond that 150? Sure. Thanks, uh, Tanya. Yeah. Look. Um the, uh, the that's certainly how we're looking at it. It's a it's a start. I mean, the way I look at it, um, um, our intention was always to get into a, a buyback situation at this point in the year. Um, then we had the setback uh, with Tassiest, and as you know, we're as a result we'll be deferring production and cash flow. So we're going to be down cash flow from where we thought we were. Uh, going to be pre-fire. Notwithstanding that, we're continuing on with this buyback, and I think that doubly sort of underscores our confidence in the business. Um, When we look at the 150 we've established as a sort of a baseline forever with the dividend, uh, it seemed to us a reasonable starting point given the scenario we're in right now would be to double target to double uh, that 150 to 300. Um, we're on track. There's there's nothing operationally that we're looking at. Uh, I, I guess if I were to rewind a couple of weeks, if, you know, we were 90% confident we'd end up where we are today a few weeks ago when we gave a mill fire update. Um, if we were wrong, if we were in the 10% category um, and it would have been longer than fourth quarter, perhaps. That might have impacted our thinking around a buyback, but it has played out as we predicted. And so there's nothing operationally that would uh, prevent us from continuing with this buyback. Um, you know, is it a, it's a target. We've tried to give some color. I think a lot of people tend to put out 5% NCIBs and, you know, who knows what happens. We've, we've tried to be very specific and you should hold us accountable for that number. 
Um, could it be higher? Sure. Well, you know, we'll see how the the world goes from here. Great. Thank you. There's no further question this time. I would now like the technical over to Mr. Paul Rollinson. Great. Thanks, operator. Uh, thank you, everyone, and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. We we'll look forward to catching up uh, in person, hopefully light at the end of the tunnel in the uh, coming weeks and months. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you all for joining. You may now understand. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.